Welcome back to the Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Mudge Riley. I changed careers back in the early 2000s and I found it very difficult. So I made it my mission at that point to help other physicians who were looking to figure out a career transition or what to do to diversify their career with a side gig or multiple different small careers. Today, I have a guest named Dr. Tom Miller. He's going to tell us a little bit about his story. He's got a very interesting one. He works in locums. He's done some CME work, and um, he's also married to a physician. So he's going to talk a little bit about what that's like and some of the challenges and um, some of the things that he's done with other residents to coach them as they're making it through um, their training and if they're married to or thinking about getting married to another physician. So, hey, Tom, so happy that you could join us. Well, thanks, Michelle. It's great to be with you. Tell us a little bit about your education and background. I started my education uh, undergrad. I went to the uh, Ohio State University. Uh, or should say the Ohio State University, I guess. Uh, for medical school, I went to the Medical College of Ohio, which is up in Toledo and now is part of the uh, University of uh, Toledo there. And then I came down to uh, Eastern Virginia Medical School where I did my residency program, actually in a joint internal medicine and family medicine uh, residency. And uh, that's actually where my wife and I met, and I still live uh, in uh, Chesapeake, Virginia, same area where I did my residency program. Very nice. So what have you been doing since you left residency? I graduated residency in 1999, and I went directly to work as a hospitalist, uh, which was a pretty new profession at that time. It actually didn't exist when I went into residency, but it kind of became an, a career path as I was in residency. Uh, so that worked out pretty well for me because it's a career that I've enjoyed so far. Um, in the course of that, in you know, my first job as a hospitalist, I worked there for nine years and about three or four years into it, um, our group kind of went through some transitions and needed some new leadership. And at that point, I volunteered to do so, although I didn't have really necessarily the plan to do that or the experience to do that. But as with a lot of things, you kind of, you know, learn the job as you go. Um, from there, I worked at a different uh, multi-specialty group in, in our area and served as the regional director for their hospitalist programs. Um, which they only had a very small program when I started. And, you know, the task given to me was to build and recruit the physicians to those programs, uh, which certainly was a uh, quite a good experience, quite a busy experience. We went from one hospital with about eight, eight doctors to ultimately six hospitals. And I think I had about 82 hospitalists uh, working with me at the time that I left that position. So, that one, uh, that particular role has certainly played a you know, big part of, of how I've progressed because I've got a lot of experience there in, you know, the business side of things, the contracting side of things, utilization review, documentation, quality improvement programs, team dynamics, all those kind of things. And uh, so certainly has, that has played a big role in, in how I 
the options that I have and the things that I've kind of developed interest with uh, or interest in since that time. Wow. You have done a lot so far. I, it, I can imagine that being a program director was a pretty intense situation. Uh, tell me about what life was like there and, and kind of what that led you to. Well, I think, you know, as I mentioned, you oftentimes, and it's certainly not unique experience to me, uh, a lot of program directors and hospitals programs, and I'm sure elsewhere are in the same situation that they don't really have any specific training when they go in. So, you know, at first it's kind of the proverbial drinking from a fire hose kind of thing where you're trying to keep track of all kinds of different business and quality and, you know, regulation and everything else. Um, so you certainly have a very steep learning curve with that. Um, but also, I mean, you you work on a lot of interpersonal things, you know, with the, with the hospital staff, with the hospital administration, and certainly, you know, group dynamics of, uh, of any medical group, I think, but particularly hospitalists where, you know, 24 hours a day, you, everything has to run 24 hours a day, every day. And, you know, the kind of management, et cetera, that it takes to do that is, is certainly a different kind of experience from, from what you do on your, your clinical realm in terms of managing people and getting to know them and what their situation was. And, you know, that probably was one of the biggest, you know, driving forces for me in terms of, you know, being focused so much on the clinical efficiency and the recruiting for the programs, et cetera, and trying to get to know uh, the people so that I knew best where they would fit in that program and how they could best help me put the puzzle together that I needed to put together. Um, you know, you had some people who were, you know, quote unquote hungry and wanted to work lots and lots of shifts to pay down their debts or whatever the case may be. But there were a lot of other people who were, you know, had young families or whatever, and we're looking more for part-time work, which, you know, they're a critical piece of the picture too. So for me, that was kind of a starting point when I became interested in things um, you know, like coaching and things like that uh, in, in having to kind of get to know people and what their needs were and what their limitations were, what their goals were, and to put that together into a framework that worked for the entire team. Uh, was challenging, but it was also interesting, and I think it was good uh, from an interpersonal level in terms of getting to know my physicians, and I think that improved the relationships there and certainly improved my enjoyment of the of the job that I did. Yeah. So it sounds like then your experience in being a program director really helped you understand your um, your strength, your particular strength in coaching because of the results that you saw in the individuals that you were working with and the teams that you were building. Tell us a little bit more about how you were able to kind of see that and understand that coaching was really a good niche for you. Well, I think, again, it's, it comes down to, as you're trying to put people together into a, a group that functions well, Again, the, I think one of the important pieces is really getting to know those individuals and their situation, as I mentioned. And I think as 
in a coaching standpoint, that's really what you're trying to do as well. I mean, a lot of people, um, even in my transition and things that I've tried, will ask me, you know, what did you do? What did you do? And this, and kind of say, well, maybe I'll just do what you did. Mm-hmm. And that's to me not really what coaching is about because their situation and their interests and their skill sets, et cetera, may be quite a bit different for me. So, you know, for example, a lot of people express interest in expert witness work, which I do some, and for some people that might be great. And for some people, it probably wouldn't be the ideal thing, uh, even though it maybe sounds good right off the bat. So I think you really have to kind of when you're looking at making that transition, you know, you hear about options that are out there, you don't know about them well, you don't have experience with them. And, you know, there's certainly a temptation sometimes to kind of jump quickly into that. But I think, you know, if you haven't really explored the different pieces of it, sometimes it can be a big disappointment and maybe kind of set your transition back more than, than if you had taken a little more time up front. So, Again, I think from a coaching standpoint, and it's one of the things that I like probably the best about being a program director was getting to know that person and again, their situation, financial, you know, relationships, children, et cetera, and what things might be really good for them and, you know, what things they may want to look out for and consider as they, you know, decide what's next step they would want to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a great example about how it's easy to jump into something which ends up making you take a step back rather than forward, although you don't Mm. realize it at the time. Um, I definitely had that experience myself, and I've seen it with so many other people, too. Uh, So tell us a little bit about how you learned about some of these other things. I know you augment some of your clinical time with some non-clinical things, and you really feel like that helps you to be a better doctor. So tell us a little bit about some of that stuff. Um, in terms of the, the things that I looked for and the things that I pursued, yeah, um, you know, I think a lot of those, I mean, kind of like it, it was with, with being a program director, it's oftentimes not a thing where you you know, you don't have classes like that in medical school or residency to to teach you about how to pursue other avenues. And, you know, for me, it was quite often kind of hit or miss. I mean, it was is a factor of, you know, Googling things and calling people and emailing. And, and a lot of times those would turn into dead ends. But yeah. Some of them, some of them did not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just kind of trying to piece together that pathway. And some of those things I, I've tried and, and uh, you know, I could kind of see, well, this isn't probably what I want to pursue and, and try to do things in a different or try to pursue different avenues. I think, you know, that definitely is what has interested me in, you know, after some of our conversations initially and, you know, hearing about the uh, the conference idea that you had put forward and that we're working on for April in terms of you know being able to offer more networking, more support, more ideas up front than than I suspect you had when you started this process, or certainly that I had or a lot of people have when they start this process because 
um, you know, it can be difficult when it's just kind of, you're just kind of trying to explore things by Google and that's kind of the only resource you have. Uh, so that's a big part of the reason that I'm excited about the uh, conference in April is, is, uh, you know, people being able to come and network and learn from other people. And, you know, I, I fully expect to learn from other people there as well, things that have worked for them and maybe possibilities that might work for me in the future. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. It is so hard to figure out what your options are. That's probably the number one question I get asked or what are my options? And you're right about Google too. And an additional piece of that, that I've found even much more recently is all the junk that's out there and the scams that are out there. So yeah. it's hard to know what's real. Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did you find locums and get into that? Uh, my first experience with it was actually hiring people as locums to come into my group uh, where we were. We had one big transition that we needed at a hospital that had to happen very quickly. Um, so, you know, I had to recruit a number of locums to come into that hospital and work with us uh, and had them there for about a year or two. So I certainly met a lot of people in that um in that venture and kind of learned how they did things, et cetera, and, and what it was like for them. And, you know, when I got to the point where I decided I wanted to move away from that administrative role, you know, the, I still, you know, the, doing clinical work itself for me is still an important part of, of what I want to do in my career, at least at this point and for the foreseeable future. Um, I still enjoy it. I still think I, I learn a lot from it. And I think of everything I do, those interactions that I have with patients where I'm able to, you know, educate them about a difficult situation for them or their or a family member and kind of help them through that, I think for me is still one of the most important parts of, of what I do professionally, clinical or not. Um, so I really do enjoy that part. Now, I, there's plenty of interactions that have their downsides too. So <laughs> I, I don't turn a blind eye to that, but uh, definitely that side of it, I really enjoy. Um, but as I wanted to look towards developing some of the other career paths, um, I wanted something that was more uh, they had flexibility to it, uh, yet still clinical. So the locums was kind of a natural alternative in that circumstance. And, you know, I have had a son who was in college in Ohio. Um, so, you know, in, in some of those ways, it becomes, it's kind of nice to be able to say, okay, once a month, I'm going to go up that direction and I'll, you know, I'll see him the day I get there and the day I leave or something like that. So I can spend a little time visiting um, and just, you know, being able to explore new areas is I've always, you know, before I was married and had kids and everything, you know, when I had time off, I usually would get in my car and drive somewhere that I'd never been before. So, you know, that side of it kind of appealed to me too, being, you know, a little bit an occasional nomad, so to speak, and, uh, you know, be able to explore a new area that I hadn't, uh, wasn't familiar with before. Yeah, I can see how that would be really appealing. I agree. That stuff is is really cool. Um, so how does your physician wife 
feel about locums and, and how do the two of you kind of balance what, what you're both doing clinically? Well, I mean, the, the two physician household, um, you know, it certainly has its benefits and challenges, um, you know, and, and those evolve over time. And I think that's, that's certainly part of the, the picture that I've experienced, you know, when we, I think I mentioned when we met, you know, I was an intern at that point. My wife was a third or fourth year medical student and, and we got married fairly quickly and, and began a family. And, you know, the, the challenges of, I think anybody who's been at least one medical, one resident, uh, one physician resident, um, much less two, would kind of understand the, the limitations and the, the challenges that puts on a on your career and on your family life and on you personally. And, you know, so at that stage of things, certainly when we had two babies and my wife was a resident, certainly that would not have been a good time for me to say, Hey, I'm going to take off once a month wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, disappear. So, so yeah. that I would certainly wouldn't have done it. Um, <laughs> and just, uh, you know, as a, a kind of an example of, you know, the challenges there, it's, uh, you know, we kind of, we joke about it now, but we didn't joke about it so much at the time, you know, when we were both residents and, you know, by the, before I finished my residency, we had our second baby already. Wow. And, uh, you know, so we would be on call for post-call, pre-call, whatever the case may be. And, you know, when that baby starts crying at two o'clock in the morning, it's, it's hard to decipher, you know, does the person who has been up for the past 36 hours and just went to bed or the person who's going to be up for 36 hours, which one of them has to get up with the baby at two o'clock. Oh, so we actually wow. made a little criteria schedule that we agreed to, okay, this is what it was. This is how we would do it. And, you know, like, Hey, well, you got four hours of sleep last night on call. So therefore you have to get up with the baby because I'm on call for the next 36 hours after that. So, it's kind of comical, but it's, uh, it was, you know, those kind of, I think it kind of illustrates the kind of agreements and challenges you face as a two physician family at that point. But, you know, as, as our situation obviously has evolved and, you know, those babies turned into kids who are now off in college, you know, that certainly raises a different circumstance where looking at something like locums, is is much more feasible you know it's much more feasible for me to say i'm you know i'm going to be in like i just was in colorado for two weeks working uh and then i'll be back you know for a few weeks after that and that's that's much more much easier to manage without small children at home to to handle that and it kind of you know it certainly fits into our picture um in terms of what we're looking towards for the future because you know, previously being in that kind of survival mode where, you know, there's limitations, big limitations on what you can do and switching over to looking towards, well, what do we want to do in the future? And for us, you know, if you ask both of us what our top priority is, it's, you know, when the time comes, which is not that far off, we don't believe, um, that, you know, we're grandparents, et cetera, you know, in the modern world, Kids don't all live in the same town where their parents live, et cetera. So if we want to be the kind of parents and grandparents who are engaged with our families, then then that's going to mean we're going to have to be 
mobile and flexible and certainly, you know, a locum's approach in terms of clinical work um, can certainly, you know, fit right into that kind of a schedule. So, you know, those, that progression of things has all, you know, kind of matched pretty well with the idea of at least me doing locums at this point. And my wife, she does palliative care and uh, she still has a, a fixed position here at home that, that she does. So, you know, we kind of have a mix in that regard. Uh, but certainly someday, you know, that might uh, might change as well. Yeah. I mean, what really strikes me there is just how you guys really worked as a team, your whole marriage. And that's my hat is off to you. That's amazing the way that you created that schedule and how neat. I mean, it sounds like <laughs> it wasn't neat at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it sounds kind of like a nightmare, actually. But but you did what you had to do. and really that there was no other option. And instead of fighting and, you know, being nasty to each other, you guys figured out, okay, this is how it's going to have to work. And, and you figured it out and you're still doing that. It sounds like, um, that's really, really cool. I know you guys are doing some stuff with CME too, uh, that our listeners may be interested in. Do you want to talk a little bit about the cruise ship CME? Yeah. Yeah. We actually, and and I kind of, came across that the same way, you know, it's, I like probably a lot of people get, you know, you get the pamphlets in the mail all the time about, Hey, do this CME program, you know, on board this cruise ship, for example. And, you know, I kind of kept those brochures over the year and kind of look at them periodically. And then when I began to make this transition and having more flexibility, I thought, you know, well, rather than go on the cruise as a, you know, just a, a patron of the cruise or attendee of the conference, you know, is it possible that, you know, we could go as the presenters in that conference? Uh, and, you know, we, as, you know, as with other things, kind of looked through Google and the brochure brochures that I had previously sent to me and contacted several of them. And, you know, some of them, said no they were full and some of them you know had opportunities to do that to lead programs and uh, so we decided to do that we did the first one back in 2016 Uh, we did uh, about a 10-day cruise uh, up up uh, from Quebec uh, around to Boston and New York City and we gave several uh, CME presentations during that time uh, which you know, it's a, it's definitely a nice way to travel that we hadn't really done before. And the CME part of it was certainly not, I mean, it takes time to develop the lectures appropriately. We had some that we've, you know, done over the years. So we kind of had some starting point, uh, but we certainly added on to those. And that was, you know, it was a really good experience. We, part of the uh, program was stopping uh, at the at a local medical facility and kind of in Canada for in this case and learning how how they did things and you know what their situation was with the Canadian health system and how they managed their area etc um, so that part was very interesting in addition to that a number of the people in our lecture group were from Australia you know China Canada, et cetera. So, you know, it was a good experience in terms of getting their 
viewpoints and uh, insights on how things were done there compared to how we do them in, in the United States. Um, so it was just all around very interesting, uh, interesting trip. And uh, we did it again this past summer. Uh, we took a, this was a cruise around the British Islands and Amsterdam, et cetera. And uh, also a very good experience there. You know, kind of broadened out the, the lectures. And I did one lecture on the, the history of British medicine, which was just kind of a fun lecture. But it was really interesting to learn some of the stories from the places that we visited. And uh, again, just had a great experience with the with the attendees on the cruise. And uh, just, just a very nice way to travel. Um, so really enjoyed that. And enjoyed giving the presentations, too. I mean, I, I, I do like lecturing when I, uh, when I can put together a good presentation, which I try to. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. I love how you just thought, well, I wonder and started reaching out and yeah, some people said no, but some people said yes. And so you went yeah. and you did it. Yeah. And that's a key point. I mean, as with everything is, you know, obviously you're, you're going to get rejection sometimes. So whatever you're trying, you're going to get you know, doors that are closed or whatever, or people that don't even pay that much attention to what you're asking. But, you know, then you ask three or four more people and, and you get a positive answer. And that's oftentimes all you need is just that one positive answer. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All you need is one sometimes. That's right. Wow. Well, so I, I don't, I know that we've been talking for about 25 minutes here. Um, going to kind of start to wrap up. Is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with uh, just from your vast experience being a hospitalist, a program director, being married to another physician, doing locums, doing CME work, all kinds of other stuff that we didn't even get a chance to talk about? Uh, what would be your advice to other physicians who are trying to find their way? I think, you know, looking at what you're skill sets, et cetera, are, and, and looking kind of deep on that. And I think one of the best exercises that you can do is just to try and make, you know, just an exhaustive resume or CV. And, you know, you oftentimes think, well, all I know is hospitalist, for example. But, you know, in my situation, even before I took on the program director's role, I've I worked on, you know, I've got an entire page plus on my CV of all the different committees I worked on, et cetera. And, you know, there's a lot of experience in there that you may not necessarily be thinking of that, that can be applied to other things. So I think it's important to, you know, not certainly not sell yourself self short and to really take stock of the different things that you've done or that you want to do or believe that you could do. And then, find those opportunities that can that can match that um, as far as you know our particular situation um, certainly we've my wife and I have helped each other a lot in terms of you know career coaching and kind of working things out and you know in her case even though she's got a more fixed job than me you know we worked on her contract with uh, with the hospital to make it work better for us um, and you know everybody out there who's thinking of a career transition you know there may be some people who want to do other stuff but you know it may be a matter of can I kind of fix some of the things where I am that makes it more viable for me uh, to stay here or to partially stay here 
Uh, and I think at the same time, as you look towards what you want to do, there are things within where you are, where if you're engaging with the leadership of your group or again with committees, et cetera, where you can begin to pick up skills that you can apply, you know, once you've kind of made the plan that I want to make a transition, but maybe it needs to be three years from now or whatever the case may be. And here's what I can do in the meantime to facilitate that and to make it easier when the time comes. So those I think would be my, uh, you know, key points uh, of advice uh, just in general in terms of uh, anybody thinking about a career transition or partial transition. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Yeah, I love it. Well, Tom, thank you so much for being with us today. I know you'll be at the April conference, so that's great. And you're happy to talk with and mentor anyone there as well. So I'm sure there will be some people that'll take you up on that. Um, So for now, uh, listeners, we are looking forward to um, having you come and join us again for our next podcast for now. Have a wonderful week and we'll catch you later. Bye-bye.